0: Welcome back to the World Football Index Podcast. I'm Alex Dano alongside Jerry Mancini. Going to take a look at MLS Now, how the ironic thing is, Jerry, at the time that we record this, uh, we are in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, MLS has been halted for the last couple of weeks and they are targeting May 10th for a return to action now. Given that the COVID-19 infection numbers are still very much going up in the United States at the time we tape this, it's especially bad in a place like New York City. Uh, it's late March, so it's really, really tough to tell whether or not May 10th is right on point or way too ambitious. But, you know, in the meantime, players and, and managers are in quarantine. Everyone's doing their own workouts, trying to stay in shape, but, Jerry, how are you? I hope you're staying safe and healthy during this strange, strange time in the world right now. Well, I'm, uh,
1: I'm one of those uh, people who are a uh, frontline destination and I, I have to keep uh, shelves filled in the uh, grocery stores. So I've been out there working still and still writing and podcasting on the side when I come home from work. But other than that, I'm keeping myself busy and that's all you can do right now. The worst thing you can do is just become very lazy and become in this routine that you don't want to fall into that when the world does come back to normal you don't want to lose your routine that you're so used to and so accustomed to that has been everyday for you
0: now jerry uh is up in canada he covers toronto fc uh, i'm down in south florida i cover inter miami and it's obviously a pretty exciting time for that franchise given that were a few weeks removed from their inaugural game as an expansion team uh but Jerry the timing of the COVID-19 pan- pandemic could not have been worse as far as Inter Miami is concerned because you know the MLS season was postponed 48 hours before Inter was going to play their inaugural home game in Fort Lauderdale, Florida and you know the South Florida community was really buzzing for that you know, folks had, you know, the, the game was a sellout. You know, season tickets had been completely sold. There wasn't going to be a seat available at the stadium. And then, you know, news came down. Uh, things had really gotten real at that point. You'd already seen the NBA announce they were suspending their season. The NHL quickly followed suit. And then MLS not long after that. And so things have really come to a standstill. But you talked, Jerry, about staying active during this time when, you know, players aren't really allowed, at least not in groups of more than, you know, nine people aren't even allowed to congregate and get together. Uh, everyone needs to find a way to stay in shape. And I was reading an interesting piece this week uh, on Inter-Miami players from the Miami Herald. Uh, Luis Robles, the goal—the goalkeeper, was especially vocal with some of the quotes that uh, this is pretty cool just to make sure That players are doing their part to, you know, do their workouts and do their runs that they're required to do every day, even when they're not in training. You know, right when this pandemic started, guys had to show up to the training facility to pick up a GPS tracker. And every day during their workouts, they have to wear a vest containing this GPS tracker. And so you've got Big Brother, you know, in the form of Diego Alonso and his coaching staff monitoring every player digitally you know, each player, I think it goes by position group, uh, you know, center back, center mid, center forwards, etc. cetera, goalkeepers. Every position group has like a specific workout tailored to the place on the pitch that they play. And they're required to do a certain amount of cardio and run a certain distance per day. And so, you know, if guys aren't keeping up with their individualized workout, they're going to hear from it. Uh, they're going to hear about it from the coaching staff. So they're very much staying on top of these players. I doubt anything like that was happening, you know, during the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. Technology has taken us a long way. So I think really one of the biggest challenges, Jerry, right now is once they do really set in stone a return date to action for MLS, you want to make sure these players have, you know, had at least a couple of weeks to resume group training, but that they've also kept their bodies in great shape when they're by themselves. Because if you don't see guys in great shape, you're going to see a lot of muscular injuries, a lot of fatigue, and quite frankly, a lot of sloppy play when the season finally does resume. No,
1: you're absolutely right. And the worst thing you can do is that you stay home and you, you come in, in complacent of what you've um, done every day to train and stay in shape for game day. And a lot of the time when, the, when players are not deemed fit for a match the week after and they haven't practiced for three days... It becomes a, a concern for a lot of uh, football clubs, and, and now you're you're going beyond the week. You're going months, maybe, and that's something that, uh, is these clubs are not used to. And for for Toronto FC, I don't know in regards to what they have done for training and if players have access to to the uh, to the stadium as if you just alluded to. Inter Miami FC is doing, but. I do. I have seen on podcast, sorry, not on podcast, on Twitter accounts where a lot of these players they they come up with their own workouts and they have their personalized gyms in their house that they have figured out ways to keep in shape and just go on a routine and they they designed a day to day type of um, plan that has allowed them to to just stay in shape until they uh, until they play again. So that is one uh, aspect that. Some of these players are very smart in in the regards of trying not not just for football related but just for just for themselves just to make sure that they're not losing that that stamina and, and that the footwork and what they're used to to help them win games or even just play games in general.
0: I love some of the stories about players really having to improvise because listen a, a lot of these players are relatively wealthy professional athletes. many of them do have home gyms, home equipment, they've got the dumbbells and the barbells at home and all that good stuff, but that's not the case for everybody and you know in the case of of Inter Miami, everybody's new to town. Uh it's an expansion franchise so there are not any carryovers from last year, so a lot of these guys, you know, just probably moved into their apartments or their houses maybe a few weeks ago and uh, and Robles, the goalie was saying that, you know, he had to tell the training staff, listen, guys, I don't have any weights in my house. Like, I, I don't have a home gym. I've got an apartment. And they told him, well, if you have milk jugs there or gallon water jugs, you know, fill them up with water and pretend those are dumbbells. So that's one of the things that he's having to do to improvise to finish all the workouts that they've given him. But I, I'd love Jerry, you know, to go through, you know, for the teams that we cover, uh, Inter Miami and, and TFC. Sort of our expectations and maybe things we feel our, our squads need to add to really compete. Um, you know, for me, it's I guess it's pretty easy to go over Inter at this point, even though they've only played two games in the history of their franchise because it is so brand new. They're a bit of a blank canvas per se. Uh, I do believe that their sporting director Paul McDonough did a pretty superb job. You know, he was the architect of. You know, Atlanta United, uh, when they were an expansion franchise. So I think they found the right man uh, to do that job and fill out that roster. I think he's been superb for what he's had to work with for a new team. Uh, I, I don't really see any glaring holes besides the fact that on paper they really lack goal scoring. You know A guy who was expected to be their top scorer and may end up being that, uh, Julian Carranza, uh, a striker, um, you know, he came up injured, you know, during training camp and hasn't been able to debut for the team yet. That was where they expected a lot of their scoring to come from. So with him not being available to start out, you know, you saw them get shut out by an excellent LAFC team in the opener and they did get their first one and only goal in franchise history in their second game, uh, 2-1 loss at DC United and Pizarro provided that goal. I think he's going to come up clutch with some goal scoring performances this year, but I really see that as being the glaring hole for Inter. It's uh, very strong in defense, extremely strong in midfield, solid goalkeeping, uh, but I do think that they're going to lose a lot of close games this season just with an ability to consistently score goals. And so, to me, adding a higher class of striker is going to be a big need when the next transfer window rolls around. And I I also, I will say this, and this not only pertains to the needs on the pitch but i think it also pertains to the needs to really plant the seeds in the community uh, of support for an expansion franchise i think they're going to go after a big name uh they have a couple of dp spots still available and um i know that david beckham who's part owner of this club and he's really the face of the franchise he's got a lot of connections and i know he thinks it's very big and he wants to make a big splash and so i think you're going to see them try and go after a older, but well established, well known brand name type of player to come in and really elevate the stardom of the team. And you, you think about, you know, a, a guy of the ilk of a Luis Suarez, you know, an Edinson Cavani. He may be off the table contractually uh, pretty soon, but I think they're going to try and go after someone very well known, but in their mid thirties who's not going to be very expensive, but who can put butts in the seats and gather some media attention. So I think that's the type of need that they're going to try to address in the, summer, in the summer transfer window, assuming the summer transfer window actually happens in the summer because we really don't know when that's going to take place. But, Jerry, as far as your perspective on TFC, where do you see them competitively right now and what do you see them needing to add in the next window?
1: For TSC, they don't have a, a Beckham type of person who has these strong connections, but I believe that the actual city itself has always been able to intrigue and, and make players want to want to play here, and players such as Sebastian Jovinko ha, has always alluded to the fact that he loves playing here, but I do believe that this is a team that can compete for a top-three spot in the East. They can even... Compete for first place in the East, and that's because the first thing is that Greg Vanny has been the the, the key to their success since uh, he's joined in 2014. And before he had joined, they have only won three Canadian championships. And since then, in his five, uh, he's had five successful seasons from 2015 onwards. And in his first full season with TSC they had advanced to the uh, MLS playoffs for the first time in in their history so that's that is really impressive for this club and they followed up uh, with four years of uh, great success as well and last year they they accomplished but uh, sorry they achieved by making the playoffs and i would say it was some skill some magical run in their playoffs last year making it to the finals against seattle and um, unfortunately they didn't win the uh, their finals match against seattle but uh, one player who really stood out to me last year was Alejandro Pazzuelo. And, uh, this is someone who has made an impact on, on, uh, being with TFC last year in his first season where he scored 12 goals and 12 assists in 30 league games. And in addition to that, he scored two goals and three uh, assists in four playoff games and he was heroic against, uh, first place New York. And that was, uh, that was really uh, an inspiring game because he scored in the uh, in at a time to uh, to to lift uh, TSC against Atlanta in the uh, conference finals and then they won against Atlanta, which was uh, another uh, great victory. But just just what he's done is he's replaced Sebastian Javinko, and at the time before last season when Javinko left, that was a, a big hole that many were probably scared of how they would get the production and although Altidore has always has been their lead guy he scored around i believe 10, 10 plus goals last season for TFC and he's always uh he's always bounced up and down with injuries but when he's in the lineup he is always given that that production up front where TFC can rely on but in regards to Pozuelo he I believe that he's going to have a second good season He's gonna follow up with a with a second season that's gonna be really good. And he's a versatile player that is able to play in the midfield and he can play up front as a false nine, I I believe, because he's to score twelve goals shows that he has some um ability to score. And the biggest thing this summer that they did was sign Pablo uh, Pablo Piatti from the La Liga. And last year they they were very weak on the wings. They had Subasa. Endo and Jacob Schaffelberg and ex-TFC player Nicholas Benizet, who basically just departed for uh, Colorado Rapids, but that was a, the left side was very weak for uh, TFC and that was something that really hurt them in the finals against Seattle. So for me, this is something that if he can stay healthy, because this guy is made of glass and he has a, a list of injuries that has really hurt his career but when he has been able to stay healthy he has made an impact on his clubs that he's played for and the one thing that he provides to um, Greg Vanny this year he's, he's a versatile player that he does primarily play on the left wing but could also operate in a forward position so if Altador is unable to play in certain matches this is someone who could step in and provide Vanny with another option up front for scoring. And another player that who they drafted in the, in the MLS draft was Alchara. Alchara is a, a very fast and quick player on the wing as well. And he can play, I believe, in midfield. And in his, in the preseason, he really stood out to Vanny because this is someone who many had expected to be drafted in, say, the top five or six, which Ali Curtis had alluded to. And that's something that maybe he landed very late in the draft, and maybe could be a surprise player for TFC this year that will contribute and an assist in their in their in their games this year and help win a lot of games.
0: Happy to bring in a very special guest. Uh, followed this man's work for quite some time, Roger Gonzalez, who does an excellent job covering soccer for CBS Sports. Roger. How are you, sir, and I hope you you and the family are holding up well during just the strange times we're in, quarantine and all that. How are you? Yeah, doing
2: great, making the most of it uh, as well as we can, and I appreciate you having me on.
0: And you know, the, the timing of this pandemic, uh, not to sound selfish here, but it couldn't have worked out worse for Jerry Mancini and I. I mean, he just started uh, covering uh, Toronto FC this year. Uh, I just had a new you know, expansion franchise come to my city this season you know, we were about 48 hours away from the inaugural home game before they suspended the season. So, you know, the, the timing's certainly unfortunate, but we, we can't pick the timing on these things. But I did want to pick your brain a little bit, Roger, on Inter Miami. Uh, there, there's a lot of excitement in South Florida. And I think to, to have a guy like Paul McDonough as the sporting director, we're already seeing the dividends being paid. You know, this franchise, basically six years in the making, from when David Beckham first announced his intentions to create it. So, what have been kind of your takeaways and your thoughts so far, Roger, on you know how, how the team has been constructed and and how long do you think it's going to take them to compete?
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. I think it's certainly you know it's nice to have uh, MLS back in Miami in that area. I think I've, I like how this team has been. Put together and what Beckham has done and Jorge as well. You know, I think first off, getting Diego Alonso for me, he's one of the best coaches. uh You know, in the Western Hemisphere, I love what he did in Mexico. It was great with Pachuca and Monterrey. Obviously, he has won titles. I think he's the only coach to win two Concacaf Champions League titles with different clubs. Uh, and he's just someone who I've always rated highly. He's played in Europe, played for really big teams, has a lot of experience, and I, I, I always thought that he would make a great coach in MLS, and I'm excited that Miami was able to get him. And, you know, I think with a lot of expansion teams, usually the, the expectations are, are quite low, but with what we've seen out of Atlanta United and LAFC, you know, I think those are similar expectations to, to enter Miami. Now, there's certainly some, some ways to go. We saw the, the delay in hiring a coach, and, you know, I feel like that might have had a bit of an impact in regards to the overall quality of the squad and the players that they were able to bring in. But I think overall this is a team trending in the right direction. Uh, Beckham seems obviously eager to, to connect with those, those players that he has connections with in, in Europe and try to lure someone over potentially, whether it's an Edison Cavani or a David Silva. And so I think we could potentially see into Miami, you know, do something like Atlanta, like LAFC and, and quickly become a contender. Uh, but it will take a little bit of time, especially with this, you know, the whole delay of the season and, and the future kind of being uncertain. But uh, I think they're uh, they're in a good spot for now.
1: Yeah, I, I want to follow up with, uh, do you think that there's a possibility that teams will be forced to play in cities where they'll need to relocate as certain teams may not be able to play in their locations? So, example, like New York City or Seattle, or do you see them playing out in empty stadiums?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's that's a good question. There's so much uncertainty, it, it's hard to really – Think about what, what the options will be. A lot of it's obviously going to depend on, uh, you know, the, the track of this virus, how things go, if things can improve. Obviously it seems like we're, you know, at least a couple months away from anything kind of being normal again. And, you know, I think, you know, that, wait, that question you bring up kind of makes me think about what some of the teams in Europe are trying to do. They've talked about, you know, like the Champions League, maybe trying to do it out of, uh, you know, one specific, uh, you know, like where the Champions League final is in Istanbul. Maybe do the semifinal and final there. And try to keep things concentrated to one space and be able to limit travel. So I think MLS is going to examine, you know, every option that there is, just like other leagues in the U.S. And uh, I, I really think they're going to put every option on the table to get the uh, the season done. And there's already been talks about, you know, potentially playing the MLS Cup until December. And so we'll just have to kind of wait and see. Uh, what they do, but I, I do think that MLS has the priority of, of putting uh, the health and safety of everyone first, and that's obviously the right way to go about it.
0: So Roger, I, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, obviously transfer window usually would start in July. Um, you know this is going to affect every major European club in addition to affecting MLS. Uh, what do you think the contingency plans are with the transfer window? I know that there's talk. Of you know teams in Europe having to extend contracts of their players that would normally expire June 30th to make sure they can get through a season, but do you think we're going to see a summer transfer window actually held in the summer, or could that maybe be put off uh, even until the winter? Yeah, there,
2: there's going to have to be some solution to this because there's just no way that you know if the season goes into July and the players' contracts are expired, how how are they going to operate? Um, you know, I know that the uh, the executives from the European Club Association. Uh, have been discussing it that, you know, they've committed to obviously trying to finish the season by June 30th, UEFA overall. And so, um, I think when you look at it, you know, in regards to, you know, having these current players and, 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 and whether they have to go back on, you know, if it's a player on loan having to return or, or trying to target new players, uh, it's certainly a headache that, you know, everyone has to get on, on the same page about, um, you know, you're not going to, we wouldn't expect to see a lot of movement, you know, in June when, when teams are maybe finishing up their league. So there's a lot more, a uh, lot more questions, I think that answers at this point. And you know, there's a report today, uh, I think it was from maybe from ESPN, uh, that there's gonna be a, a, a call on Friday um, from kind of the top figures uh, in European soccer to kind of talk through the transfer market and see kind of, you know, what options they have moving forward. Um, but, I mean, it's just just thinking about, you know, everything else outside of sports that we're all dealing with and to have, you know, something as complicated as this when it comes to contracts and finances. Uh, it's it's not just like this entire situation. It's not going to be easy to figure out uh, what
1: exactly to, to do there. No, absolutely. And I, I want to follow up with how far do you find MLS behind the well-established leagues such as like La Liga or Serie A or, or even the South American leagues in general?
2: Yeah, you know, I did something the other day on Twitter where I posted what I thought were the 10 most entertaining leagues, uh, in the world. And, uh, I had MLS in there. I had him at 10th. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best quality, but I certainly think it's an entertaining product. I think part of that is because attack dominates. We see, you know, some really good players, uh, in the final third, whether it was Ibrahimovic the past couple of years and, you know, obviously Carlos Vela and Joseph Martinez. Um, and I think the weak defenses overall in MLS certainly contribute to that. So, uh, you know, I don't think, I don't really consider MLS at the moment, uh, a top, you know, 10 or 15 team, you know, league overall in regards to maybe the actual quality on the field, the strength of the teams. But I certainly think it's one that's kind of pushing that top 15, top 10 and has made big improvements. And a big reason is bringing in the South American talent, whether it's been, you know, Ezekiel Barco, we saw Miguel Almiron as well for Atlanta United. Um, and you know, other players, you know, even from Mexico, if we're talking about Pizarro, uh we're talking about, you know, Chicharito. there's been some really good players like Bella as well that have really lifted the league and given it exposure. Um it, it I I think sometimes I talk to friends from other countries that know so much about MLS and it surprises me. I mean there's people who are following it in, in countries all over the world now. So I think it's made a nice impression. It certainly has a long ways to go. I know a lot of people won't give it a chance because there's no promotion, because there's no relegation. You know, you have a end of season match between you know Cincinnati and uh, maybe Nashville that isn't you know you're not playing for anything. Whereas in Europe, you know, you have a match between West Ham and Aston Villa that's for everything uh, in a sense. So it's uh It's getting there. Uh, There's certainly a lot more uh, improvements that need to be made, but I think there's reason to be excited for what's to come.
1: No, absolutely. And and the product of of the game has gotten much better over the years. But my last question I want to ask you is, with the whole coronavirus and basically making it very unpredictable what's going to happen for the future, I think that, personally myself, MLS is in a perfect condition. And, And the fact in the sense that they've only played two weeks in. And do you think that they have an advantage compared to other leagues and that they're able to salvage their, their season this year? Because and there's been talks that they will extend the league until December, and even if it were to start in, say, May or June, even a condensed season will still be beneficial to the league because they'll be able to salvage many games compared to others.
2: Yeah, I think that certainly gives them a bit more flexibility having just started. You know, I think when you have the pressure, uh, you know, in Europe with the continental competitions and having to wrap up the Champions League and et cetera, that makes it a little bit more challenging. I think obviously now that there's no Copa America or Euro, uh, that makes it a little bit better. Um, but I think really kind of moving forward, we'll see, you know, Don Garber and, and the, uh, the, the top dogs at MLS, you know, way different options, whether it's a reduced schedule. Certainly they're going to try to fit. Uh, every match in that they can and you know it certainly sounds like a headache to have to try to figure that one out but yeah I think that MLS is definitely uh, in a, an advantageous spot to have just started and, and maybe have more options to work with and, and maybe not as much pressure uh, as some of those leagues in Europe that you know we're set to conclude uh, in May.
0: Really great stuff here from Roger Gonzalez from CBS. Now Roger you're a Boca Jr. supporter. I always Take Boca over River when they play. I, I always, uh, my heart is with your guys. Well, where, where do you rank that in the great rivalries in sports? Because I, I have some friends who are Boca fans, and you know, I, I, I've watched enough of those matchups over the years, and, and it gets so heated with the fans. I, I think it might be up there with maybe one or two most intense rivalries in the world. Where do you rank that one?
2: Yeah, I mean, not you know, not to be biased, but I, I mean, I would put it up there as. The best rivalry in the world. You know, I don't think they call it the, the Super Classico for, for no reason. I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a game that brings a lot of emotion. I mean, you know, when you see matches suspended, you see tear gas thrown by fans and opposing players. I mean, it gets, it gets way, way out of control. But I mean, obviously there's so many great derbies around the world. You know, every country has big ones. I mean, obviously you have Real Madrid and Barcelona and, and the Clásico, Manchester United, Liverpool. And, you know, I think some people might not give, you know, Boca River as much credit. Uh, because maybe they don't see the games as much, you know, we don't see those, like the Milan Darby's and those games, uh, certainly on TV more. Um, but it's, uh, it's one that's fun. It's, it's emotional. It's crazy. They just had a crazy end to the season down there in Argentina where they were both fighting for the title on the last day. Uh, Boca came out on top, thankfully, and it was, uh, it's just a wild ride. I think South American soccer, for those who haven't seen it, uh, it's, it's something crazy and, and Boca River is as big as it gets.
0: It really is, and, and thank you so much for your time. Uh, you want to follow this man on Twitter, Gonzalez CBS, and check out his work at CBS Sports. Really does a great job covering soccer. Roger, thank you so much for the time, and uh, you you keep your family safe, man. I hope, every, hope we all come out of this uh, unscathed and everything, man. So I hope you have a good one.
2: Thanks, man. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Have a good one.
0: For Jerry Mancini, I'm Alex Dono. We'll talk to you guys next time here on World Football Index.